Oh, great praise and worship. I always go back, for those that have never seen that before, I always go back to the Bible and I turn to the Scripture that we're going to be talking about today as a means of, uh, as we say in the military, to cover our six. And so we did that. So, praise God. All right. Again, welcome uh, this morning as... Uh, I have one of the great privileges of a pastor, and uh, I've only been, for those that don't know me, uh, I've only been a pastor since November, and uh, the first thing that you always want to do as a pastor, uh, the first significant thing in the ministry um, is a baptism, and uh, today we get to uh, perform that ceremony with Toby and Allie. And uh, so it's a great privilege. And so as a result of that, um, we're going to take a break from walking through our series on 1 Peter. And we're going to talk today about the ordinances of the church, which I think is quite fitting given the fact that today we celebrate both baptism and the Lord's table, the two ordinances within the church. And so with that, these are the scriptures that we'll be going through. And having already prayed over the sermon, let's begin. Now, within the Reformed Evangelical Church, such as ours, we use the term ordinances as it relates to baptism and the Lord's table. Now, there's a long, drawn-out historical reason why we use the word ordinances. Because if you look in the Bible, the word that's used for that is actually mysterion which means a mystery, and then all through the history of the church, it slowly progressed until what we have today, which is ordinances. And the term ordinance is closely associated with the word sacrament. You might have heard the Lord's table and baptism being referred to as a sacrament, which is an outward and visible sign of an inward work of grace. And so this morning, we have the blessing and the joy of being able to celebrate both of them here this morning. And so let's start off by looking at what baptism is and what it means and why we choose to be baptized. In Matthew chapter 28, our Lord says this to His disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. As part of the Lord's great commission, the Lord commands His disciples and those who place their faith and trust in Christ to not only make disciples, but to be baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The word used by Matthew when he recorded the Lord's commandment comes from the Greek word baptismo, which means to be fully submersed. Now, the theological definition of what baptism is, it is the ordinance and sacrament in which it is a sign of a new birth by way of the Holy Spirit. It is a union with Christ in His death, in His burial, and His resurrection. It is a union also with His church. 
And it places us in a single devotion towards Jesus, our Lord. And it's the start of a new life in Christ. Let's look at this a little bit more in detail. First, we see it's the sign of a new birth by way of the Holy Spirit. Before Christ, we were dead in our sins. And there was no spiritual life to be found in us. But when we heard the words of Christ, the words of life spoken to us, either by way of revelation of the Holy Spirit or by a faithful witness who introduced us to Christ. And we placed our faith in those words and in Christ. And we made a confession of faith. And we believed in our heart. We received a new life. A new life in who we were and who we are in Christ. And now we're new creatures in Christ. We have been born again of the flesh, but also of the Spirit. And the life that we now live, we live in the Spirit. Because once we were dead, but because He lives, we live. And we live in the life of Christ. When I was first saved, and I understood what happened in my salvation experience because for me it was like something of a whirlwind and then I had to realize what happened. I realized the life that I was living that I didn't like and the Holy Spirit was convicted me of it. It was a life I didn't like. It was a life I, I didn't care for even though I masked it very well. And when Christ's word spoke to my heart and ignited the faith to believe with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my soul, the newness of Christ entered into me. And I received this new life. I didn't have to live the way that I used to live. The burden of that life was lifted. The guilt of that life was lifted. The conviction of that life was lifted. And I now have this newness of life, not only in the flesh, but in spirit. And I knew that this new life was going to have all of the benefits that the glorious God would give by walking in obedience to Him. I no longer had to be the Tim the sinner. Now I'm Tim the saint. Secondly, baptism is the union with Christ in His death and burial and resurrection. Let us not forget that. In Romans chapter 6, Verse 3 through 4, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Baptism is an experiential act. It means it's something that we need to experience in following Christ in His death and in His resurrection. You see, Jesus wanted His believers to experience in a specific way what He did for us. 
And to have that experience leave an indelible mark on our spirit, on our minds, and in our hearts, and in our memories. So that we are always cognizant of the fact that we have this newness of life. You know, within my job as an investigator, I've learned that significant life events are always remembered. Now, there are times when traumatic events in life, somehow the human brain shuts it off and we don't recall those things as a means of a defense mechanism. And I could certainly have Adam come up here and give us a PowerPoint presentation on how that happens. But the fact of the matter is, significant events in our lives are remembered because they leave that indelible mark upon our consciousness and upon our memories. I got in a little trouble with the law when I was in high school. Not going to go into it, but I've never forgotten it. And so when I talk to people in my job and I say, you don't remember the time that you were arrested? Because human nature says you do remember that. And so we remember significant events in our lives. And when I was baptized, I remember giving my testimony and answering all the three questions that I'm going to be asking Toby and Allie this morning. And then when I was baptized, I remember Doc Briggs was at the end of the tank. And when I was baptized, I went in so fast it just blew a wave right onto Doc and got him all wet. And he was fine with it. But you know something? I will always remember my baptism. And when life gets tough, and I wonder, Lord, is this really what, is this, what am I to do with this life that you've given me? And I think, I, I wonder, you know, is this really worth it? Lord, I'm really struggling in this area. I really don't know if I'm righteous enough for you. I go back to my baptism. No, I died to that person. And now I'm alive in Christ. Don't let the enemy steal that from you. Because he'd love for you to forget the day you were baptized. He would love to have you forget the day that you committed your life to Christ. Ah, it wasn't that big of a deal to him. Oh no, it was the most significant event in my life. God knows when we experience something, it does something to us. And so commanding baptism is to forever instill in our faith, our spirit and mind, what Christ did for us and how we followed him in baptism. One of the things I was sharing with Toby and Allie this morning is whenever I speak to somebody who seems to have wandered from their faith, I ask them, have you been baptized before? And they usually come back and say, well, yeah, I was. Remember that. Because not only was that an obedient command that you followed, but it's also other things that we're going to talk about and that you need to remember that and to remind you of the commitment that you made, which is the third reason why we get baptized. Because it's an outward commitment to Christ and His church. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, only is, not only is baptism an outward public profession of faith, it is an outward public commitment to Christ and His church. 
to Christ and His church. Now, within Christ's church, there's the big C and the little C. You might have heard of this before. Now, the big C is the church worldwide. That's our brothers and sisters in Sudan, our brothers and sisters in China, our brothers and sisters that are in Afghanistan. But then there's also the little C. And the little C is the local little church, just like this. And so we belong to not only the big C, but we are to also belong to the little C. And we see that in Scripture when Peter preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Do you guys remember that in Scripture? And the crowd being convicted and cut to the heart after what Peter said in his powerful sermon where he revealed through the prophet Joel who Christ is and what Christ did. And that he is now risen from the dead and that they crucified him. Upon hearing this, those that were listening to Peter's sermon they were cut to the heart, and they cried out in Acts 2, verse 37, Brothers, what shall we do then? Well, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result then, in verse 41, if you continue to read between Acts, 27, Acts 2, Acts 2, verse 37, to Acts 2, verse 42, we see then... So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day 3,000 souls. There's your pattern for church growth. 3,000 souls. Can you imagine the potluck they had after that? Now, if you keep reading Acts, it continues. And in Acts 2.42, which is my favorite verse for the church, we see this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. They went from, brothers, what shall we do? To repenting and being baptized, and now in fellowship in the church, being discipled. You know what this is, brothers and sisters? This is church. More specifically, it's the local church where discipleship occurs. They left the world for what Paul says in 1 Corinthians to be part of one body. We left the world to be part of one body. And you're here today because of that. Now, there are some who believe, because I've heard them say it, you don't have to belong to a local church in order to be a Christian because I'm part of the big C the worldwide church. Brothers and sisters, that's not what Scripture tells us. If we are one body, and each of us have varying gifts, and Hebrews says that we are to be admonished to not forsake the assembly of the saints, I think God's Word is very clear that we need to belong to a local church. Add to this, Paul planting churches. Why was Paul planting churches if there's no need for a local church? Add to that, 
His admonishment to Timothy to appoint leadership in the church by appointing elders. Why would you do that if there's no need for a local church? Christ not only established his global church, but he also established local churches where your gifts minister to people who need those gifts to be ministered. You are all gifted and you have been all given abilities to minister to one another, to encourage them in love and good works, to encourage them to live this life in Christ, to be an example to those who are new in Christ by mentoring them in Christ, to share the Word of God, maybe even bring them into conviction with the Word of God because you love them, because you're knit together as a family. I've said it many times, I'm closer to you in some regards, than my own family. It's not because I don't love my family and we're not close. It's because I have the bond of Christ with you. And because of that, I love you and you love me. And it's a beautiful thing. I know what Ron's thinking that song. I love you, you love me. We're one big happy family with a tic-tac paddywhack. Please edit that from the video. Can we get that as a final song? No. Is that what you were thinking? Is that what you were thinking? Wow. He was the only one laughing, though, and that's what kind of cued me in on what was going on here. All right, back to what we're doing here. All right, all right. But baptism, as much as it is, is, a, is, 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 is a commandment, and we're to do it to, to, to walk in the death and resurrection of Christ, but it also brings us to a singular focus, and that singular focus is on Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what the key verse in all that is? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's our focus. That needs to be our focus. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, it, our eyes are to be set upon Him. Our desires are now His desires. Our will is now His will. Our purpose is now His purpose. Our significance in who we are is now in Him and not in us. Our validation is not in this world. It's in Him. Who we are as far as our esteem, self-esteem, is because of Him. In everything that we do, it's now our focus to be focused on Him. You know, when you gave your life to Christ as it was for me, the trajectory of my life changed significantly. It was no longer me who was making the decisions. It was no longer me who wanted to go over here and go over here and do that or do this. It was all now taken to prayer. Lord, what is thy will in this situation? Because I live for you. 
I follow you. You're my Lord, not me. Christ needs to be your singular focus. And baptism reminds us of that. And so as we looked at baptism, it's more than a mere ceremony. It marks the new life of a believer. Where we have fellowship in His death and resurrection and the newness of life that we now live focused upon Him. But we also have the second ordinance. And that is the one of the Lord's table. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19 through 20, we read the Lord's words. And He took bread, and when He given it thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What is the Lord's table? Well, first, it's to remember and celebrate the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, 33, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's us. That's us. This is the new covenant. And it comes by way of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the shedding of His blood. Under the old Mosaic law, the law required daily sacrifices for the sins of the people. Every day. And when Christ went to the cross and He shed His blood, He was the perfect and final sacrifice which now allows you and me by way of the ministry of reconciliation and the work that Christ did on the cross where we can now have perfect fellowship with the Father once again. Because that fellowship that we were supposed to have with the Father since the Garden of Eden was seared by sin and it separated us from the Father. And now we can approach the throne of grace at any time. And God is always there by way and through Christ ready to receive you. You no longer have to go through somebody to get to God. Only through Christ can we now present ourselves faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. We have a perfect relationship. Think about that. You can speak directly to the creator of the universe in prayer through Christ. Amen. I've lost my spot here, but I will get it back. <laughs> and so edit that out too. Um, but his sacrifice fully atoned for your sin. And when Christ suffered and died on the cross, the veil was split in tomb. What that means is no longer do we allow or do we have to have a high priest go into the holies of holies once a year for the remission of our sins by giving a sacrifice. Christ cut that veil into, now we have direct access into the holies of holies by way of Christ. Secondly, the Lord's table is not only a covenant, 
that we celebrate in His shed blood, but it's also for the church. It's for the church. As with baptism, participating in the Lord's table identifies you as a person who has placed their faith in Christ and lives out their faith in Him. Key, lives out their faith in Him. Communion is never to be used or observed as a social event where all are welcome to participate. Although churches like ours often have people who are seeking to find out the Lord and and want to be introduced to the Lord, but have yet to make a commitment to Christ, should refrain from taking the Lord's table. And it's not because we're elitist or we're exclusionary because we don't know you. It's because we don't want you to bring judgment upon yourself by taking the Lord's table without a confession of faith in Him. But let me say this to you if you feel you fit into that category. Today is the day of salvation. And we already have the tank warmed and ready. And if you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, then hallelujah, stand up and say, the Lord has been speaking to my heart for weeks. It's no accident that you're here. This is not a coincidence, as my brother Mike would say in a joking way. These are orchestrated events by God. And if you feel the Lord Jesus Christ tugging on your heart, saying you need to make a commitment of faith to me, brothers and sisters, today is the day to do that. We could send somebody home to get you a new change of clothes. We'll put you in the tank and jeans and shirts. Additionally, the Lord's table is a perpetual remembrance of the significant sacrifice of Christ in His death. As with baptism, this ordinance or sacrament also had the element of remembrance where it is designed to stimulate our hearts and the work of Christ in our salvation where, we free, where He freely gave of Himself for you and me. When Christ held that cross, He did it with joy in His heart. That's hard for us to compute. To embrace the very thing that was going to result in his death, he had joy in his heart. Why? Because he knew the works he was going to do on that cross. He knew the plan of redemption was going to be unleashed for you and me. That's why he did that. And the bread and the wine that we celebrate bring a tangible element that aid in our remembrance with the understanding that the bread represents the brokenness of Christ and the wine, the shed blood of Christ. And together they represent Christ's full sacrifice for our atonement. Additionally, as with baptism, it's also a proclamation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. The Lord's table is as much about looking forward in the hope of Christ as it is in remembering His sacrifice. Christ's death and resurrection point towards His imminent return for His church. And you want to be a part of that. I guarantee it. And we anxiously await it.
The only time it's good to be anxious. So the Lord's table is one of remembrance, but it's also one of expectation. Now what's equally important is that in the fact that it's a commandment and that we are to remember it, as we reflect upon His sacrifice, we also need to take communion with the right attitude and the right spirit. Paul admonishes that we are to examine ourselves. We are to examine ourselves prior to receiving the Lord's table. What does Paul mean by this? In the early church, they would have what was called agape feasts, where they would actually come together for a meal like a potluck, and they would celebrate the Lord's table during that time. And so some would come and would drink to excess until they were drunk or gouge themselves on food. And then they would take communion in an unworthy manner, filled with wine and gluttony. And so Paul is warning the church then to abstain from doing that and come with the right heart after examining oneself. Well, now we don't celebrate the Lord's table in that manner, but we're still called to examine ourselves to see if there's any pretense within us and that we approach the Lord's table with an, so that we don't approach the Lord's table with an unrepentant heart. And so we do examine ourselves and we're to call upon the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin and unrighteousness to ensure we have the right attitude, the right mind, the right spirit. So we're not taking it in an unworthy manner. Because when we do, Paul says by way of God's word, we bring judgment on ourselves. And that may include the Lord's chastisement or discipline. You know, the Lord disciplines those whom He loves to correct behavior that is contrary to Him. And we're to receive that with joy because it demonstrates how much He loves us and cares for us. No different than you, right? Helping out a friend who's went astray and bringing him back to the Lord. You do that because you love them. It can also cause us to become ill if we take it in an unworthy manner, not because we take it in an unworthy manner, but because of an unforgiving heart that we might possess, or an anxious spirit that we haven't given to the Lord, or an embittered spirit because of hurts and pains that you've had in the, in the past. We're to give all of that to the Lord. There, there's many studies that show that if we hold bitterness in our heart or continuously are stressed and, and anxious and worry that it has a detrimental effect to your physical health. And as a result, when we harbor those things and we bury those things and we take the Lord's table thinking that we're okay, it could lead to premature death. That's what Paul's saying when they said they've fallen asleep because they haven't given those things to the Lord as we are to do. So we need to examine ourselves. I remember when I was first saved sitting about where Kathy is, I would just weep, Lord, feeling so unrighteous to take communion. But understand, it's not your righteous by which you take communion. It's His righteous. But we need to cleanse our heart. Say, Lord. And there were times that I had to go up to a brother and ask for forgiveness while they're handing out the elements. 
because I had something in my heart against him. And so we're going to have an opportunity to examine our hearts today to ensure that we take the Lord's table with the right heart and the right spirit. So this morning, in the message, we talked about the ordinances that we're about to celebrate. As I stated at the beginning, we're blessed to have and observe both of these on the same day. And so with that, what I'd like to do is conclude in prayer for the message and then have Allie and Toby come up because they have a special song that they want to sing prior to the baptismal service. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ordinances that you've given the church so that we can remember you in your death and resurrection, so that we can be remembered of the newness of life that we celebrate, so that we can remember the commitment that we made to you, so that we can remember that our life is to be fully and totally focused on you. Well, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that we would all reflect upon that. And that, Father, if there's anybody here that's never placed their faith in you, has never believed upon their, in their heart who you are and what you've done for them, I pray your Holy Spirit will convict them in the name of Jesus. And that they would desire to have this new life fully and completely, to be lived out abundantly in who you are. So, Father, I just pray now as we celebrate this baptism in this Lord's table, the ordinances you've given us. Father, we ask your blessing to be upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. There's still light in regions beyond the borders your glory